This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Thank you all for coming, by the way, and, and, and remaining for the, our conversation. We're going to do about, do about 30 minutes of conversations with Roxanne Frias about the film, and then we're going to open it up to your questions. Before we start, I'd like to uh, introduce... Roxanne's parents who are here with us, Ed and Lucy Frias, right over here. Mm-hmm. Please give them a hand. <laughs> Christina Venegas and I are going to uh, be exchanging questions uh, to ask Roxanne. And I'd like to... The first question that I want to ask Roxanne is just what motivated you to do this film? What was, what was the inspiration to do this film? Well, um, as you heard in the film, uh, I spoke a lot about my parents and my father. But as I started making this film, it took about three years, I realized that the stories that I was hearing from the students, I interviewed about 70 young people to choose Hector and Syrian. Their stories were so profound. And by the way, they all said almost exactly what Hector said. We want to get an education for our parents. They worked so hard to bring us here or to come here. And it was so, uh, I don't know, so, so strong that I thought, you know, the stories I'm hearing in Iowa and on the border perhaps are the, is the bigger picture. And my own personal story will be an underlying one. But initially, it was for my father, his life in El Paso, and he would talk to me when I was a little girl. So I carried that with me and thought that one day I would make this film. But it's, it evolved. <laughs> so did you always want, intend to do a voiceover, your own voiceover? Okay, film person. <laughs> <laughs> well, because, I mean... It, because it works really beautifully with the story and the characters. Well, I just didn't want to be the focus, even though you hear me a lot in the film. Um, I had done other documentaries, or I had done reporting, and you would sometimes see me. And, and you know, initially this was for French television. Mm-hmm. And so I have been on French television a lot. I just didn't want to be on this film, in this film, because I thought it would just be shown in France and in Germany. And yet I wanted... It to be my story, and I just told my sound man, I said, I want you to mic me so that I'm my. For example, Syrian, you know, the young girl who walked from Honduras, I had spent weeks with her, okay, and I thought I knew everything about her. But when we sat down to do the interview that you see here, I was discovering it just like you were. That's why I was glad the mic was on. And I'm like, well, how did you get here? And she told me. So I was glad, actually, that I didn't know. Because I may not have asked her. Maybe I would have been more too... I I didn't want to ask her something that could have been painful. So I just nonchalantly said, well, how would you get to the United States? And she tells me the story. So it was a choice to have... And I wasn't sure once I got to the editing room if it was going to work or not. To include my questions and then voiceover in the film. Roxana, in doing this film uh, about Latinos in America, what, what did you learn that perhaps you were le- less aware of? What, 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 what did you uh, 
gain from this film in terms of your own information about Latinos? Yeah, that's that's a, that's a good question. I think um, you know you can research and research and. And then when you actually go out onto the ground and you start talking to people, you realize how little you know. Um, and I would say it was the young people mainly um, that I just had no idea about this um, pride they had to succeed for their families. You know, that really impacted me, uh, the children I spoke to. And, and then when I went to Iowa... I was amazed by this town working towards diversity on all sides. You know, you see the mayor who very honestly says we were afraid, you know, and he knew he was being filmed that would be on camera, but he wanted to make it work. I was just, it's a positive film, right? I could have made it any way. When you make a story, you know, you, you choose the story you want to tell, but I think this film chose me. It was so positive, everyone I was speaking to, and I didn't think it would be that positive. Hmm. I really didn't, and it gave me a lot of hope. Well, the film ends with that sense of hope, you know, and, and, and some people might say, well, maybe you made it too patriotic with Fourth of July, but that's, but that's the future. These are, they're Americans, they're young Americans, and... Uh, and they're looking towards their future. So it is yes. positive. Why shouldn't it be positive? Well, the superintendent said it, you have to film a football game, which I feel is very symbolic. And they were, when I was in Iowa, because this was last year in June that I was filming this, or late June, they were preparing the town for 4th of July. And what more American symbolic event is than the 4th of July? And to see all the Latinos out there celebrating as Americans. You know, you heard the radio station, you know, um, yelling out, you know, Feliz Fourth of July. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I just had these scenes, and I just thought they were just symbolic of um, the new Americans. Well, I mean, the stories are really, the, first of all, the people, you know, Suri, Surian, Surian. Uh-huh. and Hector and, and various others, and the way that you shoot them, um, it's, really, it's really quite um, moving. Um, and their stories are very powerful, but they're also not the, always the typical stories um, that we see, and so depicted necessarily. And so you said you talked to a lot of people to pick these characters, so I'm really curious how that process went you know, how you, in, it, you know, as you were thinking about how they appear on camera, how, what kind of stories they have to tell, mm-hmm. to what extent they represent something you're thinking about um, in the story. And then you have a gift with talking to them because the stories, um, there's, a, there's an intimacy that evolves um, as we see each story beyond just moments, you mm-hmm. know, there's we spend a lot of time with Surian. Mm-hmm. I love seeing her run track. I love seeing her at the, you know, in in these like unusual perhaps settings, just like the football game, even. Right. You know. Well, so how did how did you actually talk to them? How did you select them from so many people? Right. Well, I do. Um, I do really enjoy meeting young students, these high school students, and I knew 
that the angle was going to be on this future demographic that was going to be so important. So I thought, what visually shows best a growing demographic, young Latinos? As Jorge Ramos says, a hospital or a high school? Now, high school is much mm-hmm. more interesting. Um, so I knew I was going to shoot in a high school. And I thought, okay, I want to go to the biggest uh, unified school district to show this growing demographic. Now, it could have been New York or L.A. So I chose LAUSD. And I went to different high schools that were 100% Latino. And the teachers helped me find these kids, and I would talk to one-on-one. I'd spend days um, with them. And every single one probably could have been in this. But when you're a filmmaker, sometimes things intervene that have nothing to do with your choices. LAUSD was extremely complicated, mm-hmm. very bureaucratic, and I couldn't move forward. So a good friend of mine who was, who was at Stanford with me, a film student with me, said, go to plan B, and it'll be just as good. It's like, okay, let me look at the school districts. And basically in California, any school district on the east side of Los Angeles is going to be Latino. And I called the uh, superintendent that you see here. Mm -hmm. And he told me he sees this phone call coming from Paris going, oh, my God, do we have students in Paris? Did something happen? Who do we know in Paris? Everyone gets it all negative. They all get scared. Um, But he said, come on over. And literally opened the doors to the Montebello School District for me. Mm-hmm. And all the kids also signed, um, once they go in, maybe it's just L.A., they all signed um, video releases. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's great. Um, I met these kids, but you know what? As soon as I spoke to Hector, I just knew. Mm-hmm. And what Hector told me later, he said, when I was chosen, I wanted to represent, because we did a screening back at that school, I wanted to represent all of you, he told his school. I was chosen, but I wanted to make you proud, and I wanted to say what we all believe in. Now, I didn't know all that, but there was something in him that was so um, profound. And then I went to Bell Gardens, and there's Syrian, as you can tell. She's got a bit of attitude. And she's sitting there at the end of the room. There's about 15 young girls, and she's sitting there like this. Like, I'm going to be chosen. (laughs) And I did notice her. And she was the first one for me to interview, and there was just something there. But I didn't know any of this story. I didn't know she was so athletic. I didn't know. And she brought me into her world, because as a filmmaker, you have to respect people so that they can trust you, because you're spending a lot of time Mm. and taking up their time. And so they have to trust you. So um, I just knew by the time I met these two kids, I just knew. Did I answer your question? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, and it's the same in, in, in the town in Iowa that you stay in the store mm-hmm. um, with them at the cash register. We watch people come in and out. And, and you see some, you, you stay with them perhaps a little longer so that we see life, you know, like a real intimacy between people. And they're right. just like these wonderful moments. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Like yeah. there, there's, you're able to capture those moments where you're feeling a lived you know, experience in these different communities. So mm-hmm. that adds another texture to the film. Right. And I really, because when I did go to Otomwa, you see the street, you know, and it's in the Midwest, and then you see the supermercado, and you open the door, and literally you hear this music. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, what a contrast. Who would ever thought in the middle of Iowa, these Latinos living and transforming these towns? And I, would, I wanted to show that. And there's this life in this store, yeah. Well, Roxanne, you did this film for French television and to be shown in Europe. Tell us why the interest in France and other parts of Europe about Latinos in the United States. Why are they interested in Latinos in the United States? <laughs> well, it took some time to convince. <laughs> I t- it took me about a year and a half to sell this, um, this idea at first. And I do have to thank uh, President Obama because when you sell a story, a script, even for documentary, you have a producer who works for Arte, and he's got to convince all the other producers. It has to be unanimous for them to finance you. And they're going, Latinos? And no one's talking about Latinos. This was about 2000, early 2014. And they're going, no, it's not like current. Nothing's going on. And then all of a sudden, in October of 2014, President Obama does his executive action for DACA and starts talking about mm-hmm. dreamers. And in Europe, anything that happens in the United States that is important is on the front pages, is on the news. So all of a sudden, we hear Obama talking about Latinos and this executive action. So they go, okay, Latinos are something important. And then he decided to open trade with Cuba. And on the front page of Le Monde was, Somos todos americanos, in Spanish, because Obama had said that. So suddenly, you have this great idea, and it's at the right time as well. So what was happening politically here convinced French television that this was an idea that, in fact, was important. But, but are they, because a country like France, we know, is going through a lot of demographic changes, too, with immigrants mm-hmm. from... North Africa, the Middle East, are they taking any, uh, you know, is your, is your film in a sense a kind of uh, primer for perhaps how France can deal with its own immigration issues? I wish it could be. Um, the first screening I showed it in Paris, and um, the first question was a young immigrant. He was a French person, a young man, but his parents were from Algeria. And he said, why can't we do, he said to the audience, positive stories about immigration like this in our country? So I don't know if it will make an impact. It was screened in France. It's been screened actually in, like you said, 17 countries because this very American story, this very Latino story, um, is people can identify with it, even if they're in Austria or Italy or Spain, because there is an immigrant story that is occurring in their country. It might not be Latinos, but they can identify, and they want to show a positive look. So yes, maybe it is impacting people who want to show something that can be very positive, this movement of people, because we are witnessing right now the biggest movement of people across the globe since World War II. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why my film has been successful in these other countries. And um I just wanted to ask a question about Jorge Ramos because he's sort of the, the first person we meet, um, the first interview, um, and then he's you know plays a, a leading role throughout. He does. He does. <laughs> um, and he has played a leading role in this election year and um, and in many other instances. Um, and he's a he's a very 
um, important, you know, news personality internationally, not just here. Um, so, just you know, was how, was that in your intention to interview Ramos? Um, did you want to get because you bring up you know Spanish language media towards the end of the film, and so obviously this is a, a huge aspect. Um, of the story that you're telling, and Ramos is part of that story, but then you also get the DJ um, in, in Iowa, I guess it was. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Ramos, did you intend to include him all along? Was that something that just happened? Was it easy to work with him? Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I did want him in from the beginning because I thought he was very symbolic. Um, as I said in the film, you know, I started shooting this during the primary. So there was um, Ted Cruz in Texas. Mm -hmm. There was Ruby on Florida. But I realized if you lived in California, a lot of people didn't even, hadn't even heard of Cruz or Rubio. But everyone had heard of... <laughs> I just had a of Jorge. <laughs> I'm kind of nervous. This is the first time this happened. I'm usually very... Oh, one of the most important Latinos? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, you know, everyone knew Jorge Ramos. And I thought, this is something important. And also the idea that he has said, I can't just be your typical journalist. I must also be an advocate mm -hmm. because I must show these immigrants who don't have a voice how to navigate this new American life. So I knew that he would be in the film. Now, when I met him in Miami, he was... So amazing. He was very kind. And when he, I did the interview with him, he spoke to me as though, and listened to me every time I asked a question, mm -hmm. as though I was the most important person at that moment. It was very respectful. And, um, and I just felt he was just very symbolic. And he, he could speak with authority. I didn't want to be the person saying these numbers. That's why I had demographers. You know, if I had just done a, this romantic story on my father, people could say, oh, that's not true. You know, yeah, it's a romantic story, but that's not true. But by having experts, by having demographers saying, this is what is happening. No one could deny this story. Just like Ramos, what he said, he's a respected journalist. No one could deny it. So the important ideas and the facts, I really wanted experts and journalists to say that. I was just this connector bringing the story together. Mm -hmm. right. Do I ask you my last question? Uh, one of the important things I think about the film is, is the music. It's a wonderful, very moving music. Is that, uh, where did you draw that music from? <laughs> it, well, first of all, let me just say this was the most beautiful screening I have ever seen for my film. And I've been in places in France and all over the United States. So bravo for this center, for this theater. Yay! It was gorgeous. <laughs> gorgeous. The sound, I mean, I've been to screenings where my camera person said, did you color correct this? What are you using? It looks, and this was, mm -hmm. I've never seen it look like this. So thank you so much for these conditions. The sound, the image, it was just like, wow. I wish my crew and my producers could have but, seen this. Like, about the theme, the, the musical yeah. theme, not, yeah. not the radio music and so but, yeah, yeah. but the background <laughs> okay, music. I'll get back. I, I thought it's so, 
it fits in with your sense <laughs> of providing an inspirational, positive film. I know. Well, I, um, I didn't want to use a lot of like, Latino music. The, the Latino music we hear is, the, is in context, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I have an editor who works really well on music. Um, and he and I just worked really hard. I also had someone who um, composed a lot of the music, and it took a long time. But um, we both agreed we wanted something kind of moving, but not necessarily mariachi music. You know, we wanted something that was moving and strong. And when we were in the store, that would be the music that he was actually playing in his store. And obviously the radio station, he was playing, you know, um, these songs that we heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, he liked Philip Glass a lot, my, my editor, contemporary music. So we, we went in that, that era. But music is important. But I didn't want it to be too heavy-handed yeah. as well. Yeah. I, yeah. My last question, you've been living in France now for some 26 years although you've come obviously to visit your parents and, and to, to be uh, showing your films, but how has living in Paris and in France, how has that changed you as a Latina, as an American? How, what, how, how do you see yourself uh, in a sense, uh, you're not in exile per se, but I mean, in, you live abroad. Mm. Expat, they like to say. Mm. I don't like to say that um, because it seems like you're rejecting where you came from. Um, you know, I went as a very young girl, um, and um, at a time where Latino politics was kind of radical, and sometimes I felt exclusive, and I sometimes couldn't find my spot. Um, and so by going to France, I was able to be lifted up in a way and, um, and see a picture that I may not have been able to see if I had still remained in California. And the second thing is, every time I came home, even if it was six months, I would see this changing demographic in neighborhoods. I mean, literally, which once used to be a thrifty mart is now a Northridge, you know, with, uh, it's all Mexican foods. And, I mean, it's literally, you, you, I would just see stores and, is it called Northridge? Yeah? Do you know that store? North Gate, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Northridge is a city. That's because you've been in Paris too long. No, it's kind of, kind of delirious. I'm so impacted by this screening. Um, so every time I came home, um, I would see the changes in what was going on. And maybe if I had lived there, stayed home, I wouldn't have seen the changes going on in California. But to specifically answer your question... Um, Sometimes when you're lifted up out of your little world, you can see yourself better and where you came from, and it gives you a little bit of clarity, you know? And I don't know if I could have made this film if I stayed here. I don't know if I could have made it without French public television, who is so interested in stories from around the world. Yeah. So um, you've been showing this film around. You mentioned um, back to your schools and... Um, different places, different contexts, churches, and it's, um, you know, it sounds like people have really connected with the film. And it doesn't sound like you intended the timing to be as it has turned out um, because you were trying to get it off the ground for a long time and then it took a long time to make. So who could have predicted that you'd be 
showing this film in the context, well, of not just the election um, this year, but this particular election yes. and the issues that have come up. So um, what do you think, how do you think that people are connecting um, with the film and all of these contexts? And is it, is it getting, is it going to get people out to vote? <laughs> well, that was originally my goal. I, I, I made this, so I shot this scene where you see Trump when he actually did announce his candidacy for, to run for president. And that's what he said in that first speech. Nice beginning, right? Um, and I was in Iowa. So the radio scene there was actually happening. But I thought to myself, gosh, you know, I only have a few days in Iowa. He's not going to be he's not going to go, he's not going to ever make it, you know, he's not going to be the candidate. What am I going to do? I'm not going to have any footage. You know, when I went back to Paris to edit, never would I have thought that the scenes I chose to shoot would actually still be pertinent, you know, a year later. I just never thought. You know, I wouldn't have had enough stuff to make a film, I thought. Mm-hmm. You know, because I loved the scene in that radio station. It was great, and we didn't really talk about anything else. I wouldn't have had that scene if he didn't, mm-hmm. if he wasn't the candidate today. So, when I realized that that for whatever reason, sometimes you make a film, it's timing, it's luck, it's serendipity. Um, I realized that it could make a difference. I was hoping it would. That was my goal to take it and to encourage young people who are going to be 18. That's why I went to high schools to show that numbers are good, but it can't just be numbers. There has to be civic engagement. There has to be voting in order to make those numbers into power. And that's what these screenings, I hope, have uh, made people think about, especially young people, the potential of this demographic, of you, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and to become the next, you know, doctors and teachers and political leaders. And, and as Jorge Ramos said, the next Latino president is already born. The next Latina, Latino president is already born. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, maybe we should turn it to, yes. to the audience. And Matt, is there, you have a mic for the audience? Or? Yes, he does. Okay, well, I, let's see. Uh, let's, let's open it up. And I know many of my students are here and some of the faculty are here. So let's open it up to some questions from the audience. So raise There's your a hand question up there. Just wait for the mic. Um, so this is for the parents. Like, how do you feel seeing your daughter accomplish this like movie, <laughs> and like what like your feelings on this? Like, I would really much like to know. Oh Did you hear the question? Mom, yeah. yeah. First of all, I'm not the public speaker that she is. Secondly of all, when you've seen them as just a little girl and seen her as she is now a very lovely young woman, it's unbelievable. And I've watched this film, I think, five or six times, and I'm always moved, and I'm terribly proud. Aww. 
Okay, let's get another question from the audience. It's right, right here, here, man. Right here in front. Um, I think it's really interesting in the film that you talk about how changing demographics can sort of be this source of political power for young, um, you know, immigrant diaspora people in this country to sort of um, engage in politics. My question is, you know, like being a young person who's kind of involved with sort of leftist activities at this age, you kind of notice this sort of like palpable like sentiment that perhaps like voting is not something that's like constructive towards making like the material change in the lives of our families who are being exploited under these systems. And I mean, it's like particularly interesting in this election because you have someone like Donald Trump who, you know, let's call him a white nationalist, you know, let's call his supporters white nationalists, right? But you also have someone like Hillary Clinton whose husband oversaw NAFTA, which was responsible for, you know, the decimation of Mexico's economy. And you look at someone, and you look at, you know, the person she worked under, Barack Obama, who's responsible for more deportations than any president in previous history. So I'm wondering, how can these changing demographics sort of, like, contribute to more of a radicalization of young people rather than, you know, perhaps getting caught in this trap of voting for two parties that don't really care about young immigrants? Okay, good question. Well, what I'd like to say, there's not just presidential elections. And probably, sometimes I feel the most important elections are our local ones, all right? In order to get Congress to change, we have to vote in our state, and we have to vote for our local politicians so they can represent us, right? This is where a change can come, I really feel. If you just look at presidential elections, yes, we can be sometimes discouraged, and we can feel that perhaps they're not really representing us, but these aren't the only elections that we should be voting for. There are many elections, even here in Isla Vista, you're going to be having elections that people, so people can represent your needs and your desires and how you want to move your community. It's the same for the city. You see Montebello, it's almost all Latino leaders now. And so the school district is Latino. They're going to, how did they improve the schools from 40 to 50% non-finishing rate 50 years ago to 4% non-finishing rate for Latinos in high school. It's on the ground work with local politicians and local leaders, you know, and you have a strong voice and you sound like you're very, you know, involved in that. That is something I think we have to think about, not just presidential elections. You could become active in local elections and local politics because that's where it starts, on the ground, locally, in our cities and our states, because each state can make a big impact on its people. Each town can make a big impact on its people. So yes, presidential elections sound very exciting, but the real work sometimes is at a much more local level to see true change. Okay. Let's see about another question over there. Yeah, Nikana. Thank you so much for your film. Um, there's something about um, the sort of discourse of newness that troubled me, right? Mm-hmm. This notion of these communities are new when in fact we know, right, there's this sort of discourse about the, the new Latino South when in fact uh, immigrants from Honduras and Guatemala have been coming for, for decades. The other question, uh, these are sort of just comments, but the other kind of question that I have is the intersectionality with regard to race, right? So, mm-hmm. you, so you have this um, Hondureña, right, who's 
clearly Afro-Latina, right? Yes. And so how can we also complicate the notion of Afro-Latinidad in these conversations, right? So how can we think about the ways in which immigrant rights intersect with the Black Lives Matter movement, for example, right? So I'm just sort of interested in sort of how we can kind of push these questions a little bit more in terms of Latino identity, Mm -hmm. and also like that we should complicate gender, right? So it should be Latinx or Latina slash O or all of those kinds of things. And also, you know, these sort of assimilationist narratives Mm -hmm. that are also very heteronormative, right? So how do we account for... LGBTQ immigrant communities, right? I mean, there's so many narratives, right? right. And you can't tell a billion stories in, in an hour and a half, right? So, but I just kind of wanted to present those questions. Yeah. That's a good question. And it's too bad Hector and Syrian aren't here because a lot of times we'll get these questions like, you know, why do you say Hispanic or why do you say Latino or what about this? So I turn to them, Hector or Syrian, I go, okay, Hector, why don't you answer? This is, this is your, your group. I said, well, what do you call yourself? How do you identify? And he goes, I'm human. <laughs> and that's what Syrian even says. She goes, I'm human. Like people say, okay, how do you identify? You know, are you this or that? She goes, I just want to be human. Um, so, yeah, we can get um, involved in these kinds of um, discussions, but... Obviously, you know, like you said, this wasn't the purpose of my film. It was to show the impact of immigrants on the United States. Generally, I thought it was going to be for a French audience, you know. I never thought in my life it would be going out to all these universities and sitting here with you or other countries uh, to show the positive impact and the necessity and the constant movement of people. It's been going on forever. You said that in your class yesterday. I mean, I'd like you to also speak about how even the superintendent said there were Germans and then they were Irish and now it's us Latinos. And, um, you you know, uh, but when I talk to the young people, they are just kind of like, they're so used to it. They're like, whatever, you know? They, at least in high school, maybe when we get to university, then we we get all into these ideas of politics and gender identity and gender politics because these are new things for them. But I didn't hear any of that from any of the young kids that I interviewed or spoke to or in Iowa. You know, they just wanted to make a better life and they did want to call themselves Iowans. You know, and, um, and, the, and as the kids grow up through high school, they are American. They become American. But they're going to be able to be proud and hold on to their Latino identity as well. And that is what I think is new, which I didn't feel growing up. As you said in your class, sometimes being Mexican was a bad word in the turn of the century, last century, (coughs) you know. Um, So, you know, I'm not sure if I answered or addressed your questions, but, you know, this is kind of the feeling I have coming out of this film, that these kids just want to get educated, they want to be accepted for who they are, and they can call themselves whatever they want. Okay, another question somewhere. Oh, way up in the last row. <laughs> There's one here and one up there, too. Hi. 
Hi, um, so first, I just wanted to thank you for how genuine, like, this movie was. Like, the portrayal of actual brown people in your movie was really important to me. Um, just how raw and genuine it really was. It, and I just, I want to say how, like, it was so authentic. I felt like I was back home just sitting in this theater. So I really want to thank you for that. Um, I, my question is, how do you feel about those Latinos who try to erase or hide their roots in effort to blend in or in a belief that they will get more opportunities in this society? Hmm. Oh, gosh. <laughs> you know, I don't want to judge people for... Thank you, first of all, for the authentic part. And it's funny, I can tell... Um, I showed this, school, this film to grammar schools in my neighborhood where I grew up, um, Latino children, and they would start cracking up before the subtitles went on. You know, and when they saw Trump, they'd like boo. And then when they're in the radio station, and she's saying, you know, he's he's you know he's stupid and all this, and they're cracking up because they're understanding the Spanish. And I felt it was really neat to stand here and hear everyone laughing, and because I felt there was an identity people could understand, and that was like something that made me feel really good to have such a a reactive audience that that got this film. Your question is, what do I feel about people who maybe are embarrassed about their background? You know, if you have people like Trump in this country constantly putting down immigrants, whether you're Muslim or Latino or whatever, I see that in France, young people who get embarrassed when you ask, oh, where are you from, you know, because maybe their father or mother are from Algeria or Tunisia. Um, it's because it's not because they're, they're, they're embarrassed but they feel ashamed because of this public discourse about whom they are, you know. And um, I don't know if people will hide their identity because they want to further their career, because I think they must be inside feeling very tortured if they have to hide themselves, you know. Um, I just think that's sad. I wouldn't want to judge. But hopefully now as... Latinos are making such an impact in this country, and we're seeing role models, you know, then hopefully people won't have to hide who they are and just be proud of it. Did I answer your question? Okay. Here's the question way up there. These are tough questions. Oh, my God. <laughs> Thank you. Hi. Um, my question was for you, and um, as a fellow Latina, as a fellow first-generation student, uh, what advice you have for us students? Because, you know, we're all of different backgrounds, but we do share a commonality. We are all here at school trying to strive to, you know, make a name for ourselves, and you've done that. You've, you know, you've made this beautiful film, and you're traveling the world, showing it to all these beautiful people, and I just want to know what advice you have for us trying to, you know, make a name for ourselves. Gosh. Okay, make a name for us. Well... Remember, I'm like a lot older than you, okay? <laughs> it took many, many years for me to come here and sit on this stage thanks to my professor, you know? I was your age many years ago when I had Professor Garcia. Um, I don't think I was even conscious of what I was doing, to tell you the truth, when I was your age. When I got here to UCSB, like I said earlier, I was just so excited about studying something. Now, some people are really lucky. They know exactly what they want to do, 
and they can just be concentrated and focused. That's great. Um, I didn't. I just I was running around. Um, one thing I don't think I mentioned. One of the reasons why I wanted to come to this school because I knew it was the I was going to say capital of <laughs> education abroad. It was the center for education abroad because I knew I wanted to do that. And I went to Spain on my junior year, and that changed me. So if there's one piece of advice I can give right off, try and do a semester abroad or a year abroad. It can be to Spain or to Italy, wherever, because it broadens your mind. You know, I once um, interviewed um, a, a professor. He was at Harvard. He's pretty old now. Um, but if you looked at him, he just... Um, well, I'm, I'm going off on a tangent. But anyway, we spoke, and he said, you know, don't you think it's interesting that so many of these um, immigrant parents traveled, whether it was from Honduras or Guatemala or Mexico, to make a better life for their children? And then their kids sometimes will be stuck. They don't move. They stay in their neighborhoods. Or they're afraid. And I can understand that. We get scared. What's it going to be like? But we have to follow our parents' example. You know, and nothing's that scary, right? So maybe to take that word afraid and just to rip that up, first of all, and throw it in the trash can. And then secondly, broaden your horizons, you know, and take that class that maybe you think, I could never do it. Yeah, it may change your world. Because that happened to me. I did an improvisation class because I was so shy. I thought, I got to get over this. This was in France, right? It was going to be in French improvisation. I go, i got to get over my shyness. So I'm standing outside the door. I'm not, I didn't want to be an actor. And I'm like, okay, i got to walk away. I'm going to walk away. I'm going to walk away. Just then the door opened. Are you here for improv? Come on in. It changed my life. I took that class, and it changed my life. So we never know what can change our lives. So move forward to places that scare you. Because no one's going to ask you to fly a plane or do some open-heart surgery. If people ask you to do something, it's because they see something in you that you may not see. And you have to believe in that and move forward. Because what's the worst that could happen? Well, maybe, you know, you didn't do good in that improvisation scene. Well, you'll do better the next time, you know? Um, And travel. I think that is the two things that I learned um, here. And to push yourself. Um, and then once you do find what you really want to do, stick with it and be obsessed and focused. Okay. Is that good we have advice? Time for, uh, thank you so much for, uh, for that. Here in the blue shirt. <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, yeah, my question is, um, how do you think that someone who um, does not like, approve uh, immigration or like like doesn't want to change his culture or her culture would react to like your film. Would you think they uh, they would just disapprove it, or do you think they would like, at least try to analyze it and you know think of the lives that the people in your uh, movie are, like they're living? Do you think they would try to like at least understand how they're feeling? Or yeah. right, that's a good question because here obviously I have a very sympathetic audience, don't I? Um, you know, um, so I did show in Iowa this film. But I showed it in Ottawa. Now, Ottawa is a city that decided they wanted to become diverse. They had to for very pragmatic reasons. The mayor, what did he say? We were losing our workforce. So I needed immigrants. 
But what happened was the city was transformed. They wanted to make this work. So when I showed it in Atama, I was showing it also to people who were very positive about immigration. Um, I'm hoping in some of the universities I showed in Iowa, almost all the young students were not Latino. They were Anglo. That always, that's always sounds kind of weird, but or white or whatever. The demographer says white, so I guess that's the term we say, you know. Um, and I think they maybe learned to not believe everything you hear on TV, to look at someone for whom they are and, uh, and just judge that person for whom they are, not what color they are, you know. Um, you know, like Syrian, look at Syrian, you know. Pobrecita, here she comes to a Latina school and she's being bullied, you know, because she's a darker color. You know, so we can all learn lessons about not judging others because they're different. Um, and um, I'm hoping that people who see this film, maybe they will think, yeah, you know, maybe I am prejudging. Maybe I am not looking at people for the reasons why they come to this country. I hope so, you know. Um, and that's why it's great when it goes on TV, a lot of people see it and not just like this great audience who is already wanting to like this film. You know what I mean? So let's hope it makes a difference. Even if it's a little one, it'll be a little bit of a difference. I think we have time for one more short question, perhaps. Yes, right here. I want to... Um, Wait. Hello, my name is Karina Javier. I'm in Mr. Uh, Professor Garcia's Chicano Latino intro um, class. Um, honestly, I want to start with a comment. I want to thank you for just capturing in this film what um, an American Latino is an identity. I am a dreamer, and I come from Guadalajara, from Mexico. And I myself had to find a way how Jorge Ramos, he says that he is Latino, he's immigrant, but he has a voice. Mm -hmm. And I had to learn how to do that. I had to learn how to make my voice stand out. And back at home in my high school, I had to learn how to motivate my fellow classmates who were just like me, people from Honduras, people from Salvador. And I made my own Dreamers Club. And... Through this film, um, I found myself very connected, and I found tears, and I found tears that weren't sadness. And I tried to, like, kind of myself in my mind describe why am I crying. <laughs> and I found out that they weren't tears of sadness. They were tears that I sh shared with many. I would look around, and I would see that some people were crying just like I was. And they were tears of power. And when you said the word power... And numbers, yes, it's, it's the tears of power. And I thank you for identifying our American name here. Because now I can say, as a first year in UCSB, that I am living my American dream. And thank you very much. That, that, that power makes me stand in front of you, too say thank you, because you are in France, you're making us a Latino voice, a strong voice, and not 
just us, we're all immigrants. That's what we have to understand. And my question to you would be... (laughs) Sorry. Oh, my God. (laughs) Perdón. Um, I'm shaking a little, too. (laughs) Um, Coming back to your previous previous comment on your identity and how it has grown during your experiences in France and how you now see the bigger picture... Um, as a Latina, can you give us a further explanation of how you feel our culture makes you feel a human? Oh. Thank you. I hope I can talk without crying, all right? Thank you for your words. Um, if I only just heard that during all these screenings, it would have been worth it, making my film. So I thank you. My first screening was at St. Louis of France Church where I was a uh, little girl in La Puente, which is an immigrant uh, community. So when the pastor, who is a Monsignor, asked me to show my film to this community, he asked me to come speak at every Mass to tell them to come to the screening that would be in the church hall. And I had to say it, not quite at the end, so people would still be in church in Spanish to this congregation. It was also called a homecoming. So it was also very moving to me. And when I told people that I was from this community and this film and the reason why I made it, the words you just said, that's what I said, not as eloquent. Um, after church was over, I was with my, other, my younger sister, people came up to me and hugged me. They hadn't even seen the film yet, and thanked me. And I go, this is what it means to be Latino. This human, emotional warmth of just reaching out and this connection that I felt that I had been missing in France. Um, And it was my first time back home to share my film. So... What it means to Latino was what I felt there that day in front of a church that was full of maybe 800 Mexicanos or other people from other countries in Central America. And the feeling that I got was one of sheer love and non-judgment and just pride. So I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, but there you go, wow, am I glad to be Latino. Latina. It was amazing for me. Just like what you said to me, it's like beautiful and I thank you very much. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.